fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a post-Monday celebration, the greatest day of the entire week. Setting the tone, man. Carpe diem all over this place. Welcome into it. I know it's the hardest day of the week, but we try to get you through, man. And it's still warm. It's still hot. Thank you, by the way, Hillary Clinton, for totally giving us all the credit for the heat going on in the world right now. Not the fact that the climate changes naturally. Not the fact that it's just summertime. No, no. It's really, really hot because of MAGA Republicans, according to Hillary Clinton on her latest Tweety report. (laughs) That makes all the sense in the world. When you can blame universal things... And just nature and the world itself on the other political aisle. Man, I tell you, either you're desperate or you're really good. The question is, will people actually buy it? Will they go along with it? That is the big question of the day. Welcome into the program. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country. Radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show, it's always great to have you along for the ride. Your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. So apparently we are to blame for the climate change, the global warming, the heat index across the country. Now, in other places, it could be really cold because, you know, it's different in other regions of the world. But because it's really hot in the U.S., not breaking records, just really hot for summertime, it's the MAGA Republicans at fault here, according to Hillary Clinton. So there you are. I, You know what? They give us way too much credit, man. We are that good. We are that good that we could actually influence the weather so drastically that it will burn people. If you fall down on the sidewalk, you're getting second and third degree burns, apparently, in like Arizona, New Mexico. We, we are that conservatives, Donald Trump, he is so powerful that he can affect the weather to such a degree that he wants people to fall down, burn and die in the streets. Probably the illegal aliens, right? Because, I mean, why not? we got to tie <laughs> got to tie in the immigration issue, have to tie in climate change. That Donald Trump is making it hotter and hotter to make it more challenging for people to cross the southern border because it's too hot. And if they lay down on the side of the wall, then they'll stick to it because it's so hot. Their skin will melt to it, and therefore we can catch them and deport them. That's the theory now. Welcome into it. Man, the Democrats have it all tied into a nice little bow. It is the Republicans' fault for the way the world is today. All right. Good. Good to know. Good to know. Speaking of, by the way, Kevin McCarthy finally doing some tough talk in Washington, D.C. As, uh, yeah. What's trending today? That's right. Well, Kevin McCarthy saying he's got the tough talk, man. He is now ready to consider potentially an impeachment vote in the House of Representatives. We've only followed where the information has taken us. But, Hannity, this is rising to the level of impeachment inquiry, which provides Congress the strongest power to get the rest of the knowledge and information needed. Because this president has also used something we have not seen since Richard Nixon, used the weaponization of government to benefit his family and deny Congress the ability to have the oversight. Uh, Here's my prediction. Here's the voice reason prediction for the day is that they will be voting on an impeachment relatively soon. Now, I know that there's some bickering amongst the Republicans with Marjorie Taylor Greene 
and Lauren Boebert from Colorado. And the two are going at it like sisters who just despise each other right now because, well, MTJ proposed the impeachment bill before. It didn't work. Lauren Boebert's doing it now. MTJ's thinking that it's her fault because, you know, you're just stealing my idea. I don't know why we're bickering amongst ourselves when Republicans need to be working together to actually get something done. And I really don't know why it's taken us so long to actually discuss an impeachment bill seriously, especially from our leadership like Kevin McCarthy. Now, I know according to Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy, they've been waiting for the facts to come out. And now that they're doing these investigations and they're looking deeper and they're talking to the IRS whistleblowers and everybody else, they have all the information. We have the recordings. We have the video. We have the IRS documents. We have the tax documents. We have everything we need. This bill needs to be on the House floor by, like, today. The vote needs to be by, like, tonight. And he needs to be impeached by, like, tomorrow morning. Now, is it going to do anything? Not really. I mean, it's going to go to the Senate. Democrats obviously aren't going to do it. So it's going to look like a Donald Trump impeachment where it's just on the record. And then they can throw fits whatever they want to and say how it's just political and how it doesn't mean anything. And a media is going to go along with it. And, well, an impeachment doesn't really matter. It's not that big of a deal, man. Even though they went after Donald Trump for it multiple times. Karine Jean-Pierre as well getting a little testy just about a half hour ago at her press conference at the uh, White House as well, with people asking them about uh, Kevin McCarthy and uh, his proposal of a potential impeachment bill. I answered two of your colleagues this, this question about uh, what Speaker McCarthy is going to do, not not going to do, how House Republicans are going to move forward. I just don't have anything else to share. I don't have anything else to share. I don't have to worry about that. Don't worry about that. It's not going to happen. Don't you worry about a thing. I have nothing else to share. I will not comment on something like this. They don't like this. They're getting a little angry and testy with it, especially after getting some hits from the Supreme Court. Now, obviously, at the end of the session, with the big drop of the bombshells that the SCOTUS did at the end of their session at the end of June, they're still trying to pick up those pieces. But now the Supreme Court also coming out and laying down a smackdown on immigration policy from the Biden administration as well And our latest story in What's Trending. What's trending today? So there's two pieces of news coming out of the southern border and the immigration policy, one from the Supreme Court, one from a judge that is trying to go after Texas for the buoys that they've put out in the water. We'll get to that in a second. The first one, however, was the fact that the a federal judge has stopped a, and blocked the Biden administration's asylum rule after Title 42 ended. Now, for those that don't know, again, it has been an absolute mess down at the southern border, even though they say it has not been. But since the ending of Title 42, the uh, the Biden administration's policy has been, well, we're going to change it up. So you're not coming across illegally. You have an appointment. And it's a simple app. You don't have to really fill out a whole lot of information. You put your name and what time you actually want to show up. We'll give you the little two-minute up-down, make sure that you're all good, that you're not sick, that you don't have any ill intention, because we can totally tell that by a two-minute screening period, and then get you on the bus to be shipped off wherever you want to. Now, New York, obviously, getting angry, and we talked about the flyer of them warning people, please don't come to New York. Real estate's really expensive. Food's really expensive. Everybody's trying to come here. We don't have any more resources. Please don't come here any longer. New York's already released that flyer. So we're shipping them to other places, mostly Republican places, where you're like, why don't you have the resources set up, you jerks? And that's it. You're no longer coming across illegally, quote unquote, air quote for my radio listeners. You're coming across with a set appointment with a National Guardsman or an ICE officer to screen you with your two minutes and then send you on your way into your own thing. It's not the best process, but 
According to Joe Biden, they're like, well, now that it's an appointment, you really don't need to worry about coming in illegally because you're not illegal. We've given you the stamp of approval. The other bit of information or the policy that the Biden administration has tried was that you can just come across and if we catch you here illegally, you can still claim asylum even if you're in the in the country wherever or even at the southern border and we catch you. Then, sorry, you're not allowed to claim asylum. But according to Biden administration, you are. You can just say, well, asylum seeker, refugee, baby. You just say parlay. Remember that from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean? Parlay. You get caught. No, go talk to the captain. You can't harm them in any way, shape, or form. That's them. Uh, safe space. That's what they get. Safe space. Asylum. And we all just, all of a sudden have to uh, begin processing. Well, according to the federal judge, they say that that's not okay. Not allowed to do that. You can't claim asylum if you are ineligible by having entered the country illegally and had failed to take advantage of the expanded lawful pathways that are currently set up by the federal government. In other words, we've given you the wide open door right now to essentially claim asylum legitimately, illegitimately, illegitimately, according to the Biden administration, illegitimately, but legitimately for the laws that may right now. And if you still can't follow them, then sorry, you do not qualify to actually claim asylum moving forward. That's the hit the Biden administration is taking now. They're not talking about that bill. They're quite angry about that one. They are, however, talking about the Justice Department officially suing the state of Texas for the floating barriers that they had put in the Rio Grande in certain areas by saying we applaud them because Governor uh, Greg Abbott out of Texas is impeding the ability to actually enforce immigration. He's actually challenging it more by putting these buoys out there so that way it's harder for people to come across the board. I'm not quite sure how that works, but that's according to Corinne Jean-Pierre just a little bit ago. I'm not saying the president deserves credit for what the Department of Justice is doing. I'm saying that the Department of Justice is doing their job. It is up to them to decide what is legal and uh, how to move forward with issues like this. Okay, first off, we'll play that the rest of that in just a minute. So according to the Justice Department, they had broke when they put the buoys out into the water, they had broken a law known as the Rivers and Harbors Appropriation Act of 1899, which, according to NBC News, quote, bars the, quote, creation of any obstruction not affirmatively authorized by Congress to the navigable capacity of any waters of the United States. Kind of like a waters of the U.S. rule right now, where if it rains really hard in your backyard and it becomes flooded, then that's navigable waters, according to the EPA, and they can control that body of water. Well, this is the Rivers and Harbors Appropriations Act of 1899, where you're not allowed to create any obstruction not authorized by Congress to any navigable waters in the United States. Now, I don't know if you've been to the Rio Grande. I have at least to one portion of it. And while it technically is navigable because you can put a small little boat in there, which border security does to try and stop illegals from crossing. And there's inflatable boats coming over all the time. You, It's really like 50 feet from one end to the other where you could swim. It's a little bit deeper, which is why boats can get through it, but you can actually swim it within like 50 feet. Uh, to me personally, I wouldn't consider that a navigable water. Now it is because obviously a boat can get through it, but I don't really consider that. I know I have a warped sense of what navigable waters are because I hear people say, like, this is a lake, and I laugh at it because I can see the other side of the lake. <laughs> it even here, it happens here in Kansas as well. I know I was raised differently because I was raised near the Great Lakes in Ohio and Michigan and that area. I, the Great Lakes, you don't see the other side. To me, that's a lake. 
When you don't see the other side of it, it looks almost like a mini ocean, and it takes you a 40-minute boat ride just to see the other side of the water. That, to me, is a lake. When they're like, oh, we're going to go to the lake this weekend. We go there, and it's like, this is a cute pond. So I know I have a warped sense of what a size of a lake actually is, but to me, a real grand, while you can put a little like five-person boat in the water, to me, that's not considered navigable waters. Now, if you try and claim something about like, you know, foreign waters where it complicates the trade between two countries because it's right on that border, make that argument. But according to this, it's just the Rivers, Harbors, and Appropriations Act of 1899. Sorry, it wasn't approved by Congress. You're not allowed to do this. And they're suing, the DOJ is suing the state of Texas for putting these buoys up, even though we've been trying to sue the federal government for at least the last year, year plus, saying that you're not doing your job of actually enforcing immigration policy. So again, of course the Biden administration is going to be applauding the Justice Department right now and the liberal hacks like Merrick Garland, the AG, because right now we're not allowed to sue the federal government for their lack of enforcement of an issue. But then when we take matters into our own hands, we're the ones that get sued and say, "Uh uh-uh, you're not allowed to do that because you're doing it the wrong way. I heard this analogy earlier today and I thought it was brilliant, but you know, it's like when the house is burning down and then they sue you for trying to use the hose to put out the fire on your own house. That's what's going on at the southern border right now, and the Biden administration's applauding it. They're applauding it. Thank you, DOJ. Don't let Texas actually make it more difficult for these people. We just need to make it more easy by even opening up more appointments throughout the day to make the illegal alien come over without them really being illegal because that makes all the sense in the world. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is The Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, making things happen on a post-Monday. So we can't sue the federal government for failing to do their job. Now, remember, we're in a social compact to make the United States of America. Each state is a sovereign nation or sovereign state where they sign a social compact that was the Constitution to say that the federal government has certain duties in order to oversee the entire thing to make them united as one whole nation with individual sovereign states. I know it's a complicated thing. Federal government doesn't quite understand that as well because we have toddlers that are essentially running the government right now, but that's the way it is. It's a social compact of independent states making us the United States as a whole. And one of those duties that the states had given themselves up on was immigration and foreign policy. So that way the federal government could handle it for national security issues. Well, they're not handling it. And the farce that they're giving us right now is nothing more than a complete lie and, well, farce. Because they say that they're handling it and that illegal immigration has gone down. And that's not true. You're just legalizing the ability for them to walk in. So there's actually more people walking in every single day, close to 1,500 of them every single day. But they're not illegal this time. They're just setting an appointment to walk in and still not have to go through a whole screening process. Texas says, you know, maybe we should do this ourselves. They do the immigration task force that's on top of the ICE agents that are down there. 
And then they say, let's go ahead and put some buoys in the water to make it more difficult from individuals just trying to come across. But because it's a violation of, quote-unquote, navigable waters from an obscure law in 1899 that they're going to throw us back to, which I find ironic for the ones that are like, oh, you can't say that the Second Amendment's absolute. That was the 1700s. Okay. That was the 1800s. But yet we're still going to go by that one as, quote-unquote, navigable waters. That's cool. And then because they're suing Texas for that, Corrine Jean-Pierre coming out saying, oh, yeah, uh, not going to totally take credit for that one through Joe Biden. But kind of his doing here. I'm not saying the president deserves credit for what the Department of Justice is per doing. Say. I'm saying that the Department of Justice is doing their job. It is up to them to decide what is legal and uh, how to move forward with issues like this. Uh, so this is uh, Department of Justice that moved forward on this. We're not looking for credit. The president's not looking for credit here. He's looking <laughs> to make sure that the right thing happens. And as you know, as we're talking about the governor, Governor Abbott, and what he has done, his record on this, uh, it is clear. It is clear how he impedes the process. He doesn't help. Oh, he impedes it. He's an impeder. He's he's an impeder. Uh, Governor Greg Abbott is the impeder here. I'm not sure how you impede. Like, what are you impeding? Like, I don't under, understand that. What are you What are you impeding? I'm impeding the process of the ability for people to come here illegally. Like, yeah, that's that's what we're doing here. That's totally the plan. Thank you. I'm glad that you were quick on the draw here. That was our intention to impede the process of illegals coming in illegally. I know that's a wild concept, but uh, he's he's an impeder. He puts the lives of migrants at risk. Oh, that's what he has. How he moves forward. Oh, I mentioned last week on Christmas Eve what he did to migrant migrant children. You know, left him on the street in freezing cold temperature. That's how he decides to move forward. The president, what he is working on, the policies that he's moved forward on, is making sure that we limit the unlawful. Uh, the unlawful entry into well, this country. And we have seen that no. because of a policy that he has put forward. That's not and uh, for the governor to undermine that, that's not helping. Why doesn't the governor talk to the, the Senate, Senate Republicans or con Senate congressional re Republicans in Congress and figure out how to fix this problem? But he continues to make this a political stunt. Wow. He's an impeder. And he's he's impeding because he's an impeder and he wants children to die in the streets. This is... Wow, this is the mentality. He wants children to die in the streets. He wants them to freeze to death during the winter time. He doesn't care because he's an impeder, and he refuses to work with Republicans to actually pass something, knowing Republicans don't have a majority in Congress or a president that would sign it. So, sorry, you had the minority. Why don't you do anything? It's not your fault, but you're an impeder, you big impeder. You. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, darn right it is. Welcome back into the program. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation. One radio listener at a time on our multiple radio stations. We're all over the place, plus TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen. Can we, can we do one more of these? I love this. This is Kareem Jean-Pierre earlier today. I'm sorry, Kareem Jean-Pierre. ha oh. ha Earlier today, just about an hour or so ago, uh, during her press briefing, talking about 
Greg Abbott, praising the Department of Justice, saying it was all the Biden administration doing. We don't want credit. We just applaud the DOJ for doing their job, for suing Texas, for having the buoys out in the water because he's in, he's in, impeding, you big impeder, you. They have real work to do in securing the border instead of dealing with these dangerous structures that the governor put up and aren't doing anything, actually anything to deal with the issue that, that we're seeing at the border. Oh. So, look, the president has done the, the work. He put 24,000 uh, agents, officers, federal agents, to work, work to secure the border. That's, those, that's one of the steps that he's taken. He's put follow policies forward to expand the legal pathways so we can deal with what's going on at the border. So this is, the, this is work that the president has actually done. And again, Governor Abbott tries to impede. He impedes the process and makes it, it turns it into a political stunt. That's what we're seeing, and that's what we're speaking to. Stop impeding, you big impeder, you. Stop it. He's impeding. I'm not sure what you're impeding. Yeah, you're impeding illegal traffic. I mean, that's the whole goal. I'm glad you're catching on. Thank you for clarifying the obvious, Green Jean-Pierre. You're, we're impeding the traffic. But no, you're impeding, the, you big impeder, you. How dare you? Let's shift gears a little bit, shall we? All right, let's do this. What's trending today? So here's a theoretical question for you. I know it's been a cause for concern. Tensions with China, tensions with Russia, tensions with the Ukraine, everything going on uh, really even over in the Middle East as well with Iran, with ongoing increased tensions over there. Again, the media doesn't seem to want to talk about for some reason. Uh, there's been the ongoing floating rumor of about a potential EMP. And for those that don't know, the uh, the bomb that just takes out all of your electricity. What would a world look like if something like that happened? What would the potential look like? Could you survive? And we've talked about ways to, you know, be a little more prepared and have food stocked or at least uh, be able to survive without technology. I know you wouldn't have your iPhone or your tablet with you to be able to watch Disney Plus on your phone during the day. I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry. But uh, maybe, just maybe, we can survive uh, without that. To talk about some of that and more, excited to have on the program. He is a historian. He's a professor of history. He's also an author of many books. His latest one, Five Years After, which is coming out here in just a couple of weeks, is excited to have on here, Bill Fortune. Bill, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm staying cool up in the mountains of North Carolina, but I'll ask mm. you a question. Yes. If we lost our electricity... What would Wichita, Kansas be like today? Uh, I no tell you, with no electricity, we would be suffering pretty badly with our 105 degree temperatures we have here in Kansas. So uh, that would—I'm kind of glad for electricity today. Yes, and uh, imagine nursing homes without electricity. Mm. So yeah, th this is a timely topic that we have to get people aware of. It is a timely topic because let's go beyond just an EMP. Let's talk about the strained electric grid while we're forcing everything onto electricity with cars and with apparently stoves and every other appliance you have in your home. According to uh, the federal government right now, we have Texas that has less than 2% of their electric grid uh, reserves still available because they're going through so much while they're telling them that they need to ration their electricity. So I don't even, with the way we're going, we might not even need an EMP. We just need to all get on the electricity and then have the grid crash on us. Well, you know, uh, well, let me explain EMP for 30 seconds for people who might not be aware. Electromagnetic pulse is created by detonating a nuclear weapon above the Earth's atmosphere, sets up an electrostatic discharge, cascades down to the Earth's surface. It's known as the Compton effect. It's been studied. It's actually been tested a number of times. If it happens, the nation could lose 
a fair part or even all of its electrical grid. That means no water, no food, or in your case particularly today, besides no water, no electricity, no medication. The congressional studies done in the past, two very good ones, indicated 80 to 90 percent of our population would die within a year. Die within a year? Wow. Yes. That is massive. That's uh... Well, you know, it, it sounds tinfoil hat. I know that. Uh, I've been accused of that before, but not much anymore. But, okay, let's take what you're in Wichita, correct? Correct, yeah. Okay. Electricity goes off. What's the first thing you're going to lose? When you got up this morning, what was the first thing you did? You went to the bathroom and you turned on a faucet. Yeah. Suppose, suppose the water doesn't run. Then what do you do? Mm. That's a good question. I don't know what I would yeah. do then. <laughs> yeah, uh, because the vast majority of our water supply across the United States is pumped by electricity. Yeah. Even here in my small town, you know, just outside of Asheville, North Carolina. So we lose our water. Within a day or two, it's going to get quite dangerous. Food supply, average town only has about 20 days worth of food on hand. That's what's in your freezer, which is melting. And, you know, in the supermarket and elsewhere, all your pharmacies are shut down. Your gas stations are shut down. Chaos follows. Mm. When you put it that way, you know, we always hear the stats of like, you know, you're actually two minutes away from death until you take a breath and then you restart the system all over again. Right. It's like, and you don't like to think about those because it kind of messes with your brain a little bit. So we're essentially saying if we don't have any water, we're within a day of complete anarchy and uh, you don't even think about it with cities as well, but having a city only about 20 days away from having a food supply, that's a kind of a scary thought. Well, you know, I, I would call, you remember the old Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and you mentioned it right there. What's the thing we need more than anything else? Electricity. Yeah. I mean, excuse me, air, but let's, let, let's go to a society. What it needs the most is the most fundamental thing The building block of our society is electricity. Pull the electricity out, and you and I could talk for hours about how many things would be gone and would never come back. Chaos follows. Yeah. The big question is, would we be able to, or do we have enough smart people out there to be able to build a system like we had prior to the creation of electricity with building aquifers and actually having water being directed to certain locations and and using it for that way? I mean, could we go back to a system like that? Or do we know how to? Well, that's a good question because, yes, we could. But uh, DOE studies several years back showed that the average component in our electrical system is 40 to 50 years old. We are pumping our electricity on an antiquated system. If we were upgrading our system constantly, putting better uh, safety systems in, we could resist an EMP attack. But the way it is now, no way. It is a very vulnerable system. And beyond that, replacement parts. Where do you think 90% of our primary replacement parts come from? Yeah, uh, that brings up a whole other question. It's when it comes to trade and dependency, is it time we start Mm -hmm. making stuff back in the great U.S. of A. again? Uh, it's made in China. You know, an analogy I give is, imagine it's December 7th, 1941, Joint Chiefs are meeting with the president, and one of the, the guys stands up and says, Mr. President, we got a problem. Yeah. All our aircraft carriers are made in Japan. All our planes are made in Germany. What are we going to do? 
we once had a robust industrial base in our society. We no longer have it. For 30 years, we've been shipping it out overseas, supposedly to save money. So, you know, as you mentioned, the Texas system is running at 1% to 2% max. Go beyond that, and I would dare say another week of this heat wave, we could very well start seeing rolling blackouts. And that would be a very scary thought, especially if you're trying to survive yeah. that 100-plus degree weather right now. We're talking with Bill Fortune. The book is Five Years After. You can find it here coming up in just a couple weeks on Amazon, other places as well. Get your pre-order now. Let's talk about government speculation. If the power goes out, let's go a couple of days without the water. People start having the anarchy happen. We go a month or two without any type of electricity. We're starting to run out of food. Uh, local governmental operations, is it... The, is it like a cartel mindset? Is it gang-related where people just start hoarding things and start attacking each other? What does society look like at that point for the ones that did survive? Well, you said it already. It would be those who know how to survive and have the supplies in place might be able to survive longer. But then again, how many bad guys out there who don't have any reserves might very well be knocking at your door and either take it or shoot you? So command and control is another thing. And then, of course, on top of it all, disease. Because without clean water, disease will set in within a matter of days. Gastrointestinal, which in a normal society, you know, you take some medication, you get through it. Well, there's no longer any medication. Yeah. What, do you, what happens? People start dying from salmonella and then all sorts of other diseases. It seems like we've gone generations of being so dependent on this, we've forgotten the natural abilities. Because personally, I mean, I'm 34, so it sounds kind of crazy coming from a millennial. But if I had enough money, I would buy a plot of land in the middle of nowhere and be self-dependent and survive on my own and have a river in my backyard where I could get my water and build my electricity through, you know, having hydroponics or something like that. Uh, because... I want to live off the grid. That is my dream goal that I want to do someday. But it seems like so many have forgotten those survivalist, quote-unquote, abilities. You talk about even medication. Uh, Mrs. Voice of Reason, my wife, is an herbalist, trying to find alternative medicines through plants right. and herbs and stuff. Good. Um, and that's another, not only is it something she's interested in, but another survival technique that I think some have forgotten to use as well, Bill, we got to take a break here. Uh, we got to take a hard break. So uh, when we come back, I want to continue that conversation. But the question is, leading up to this, is how many people do we think now, the size of the population, that actually knows some of those survivalist skills? And I'm not talking about like going on a TV show and going on naked and afraid or something, but actually surviving for real in the woods for a long term, being able to survive with the water and the food that you can gather, and then being able to fend off all the. Um, threats that could potentially lead to that as well. It's a fascinating conversation. The book is five years after. We'll do this more when we come back right around the corner to wrap up the program for a Tuesday. Stay right here on The Voice of Reason. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. John Ryder, just welcome back into the program. Last few minutes of the show. Boy, oh boy, it flies right on by. We can be talking about all this stuff for hours, man. But alas, we're so short on time. So little time, so much to talk about. That's what we do here on the program. Make sure to stay tuned in. We have a lot to cover the next few days here on the program as well. Right now, though, we're talking, can you survive 
a post EMP or the electric grid going down, which seems like what they want to happen. I mean, why not throw society in chaos? Put everybody on the electric grid, watch the electric grid go out, watch the uh, blackouts and the brownouts, and then say, sorry, you can only set your uh, AC to 85 degrees in your home. You can only use three minutes worth of water in your shower before we cut it off because you're using too much water. You are, I mean, we saw the tweet from Hillary Clinton earlier, what was it, today or yesterday, where we can thank the extreme heat during the summertime on MAGA yeah. Republicans. Yeah, so. Man, I tell you, Bill, it's a it's a weird world. When I, I didn't know we had that much power. I feel kind of honored. I didn't realize that we had that kind of authority around the society. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's a vast conspiracy. Vast right-wing conspiracy. Vast right-wing conspiracy. Bill, do you think that there's been an increase in people maybe conscious or aware or maybe uh, concerned about something like this that may have had their eyes open to think, you know, maybe I should prepare myself a little bit either by stocking things up water and food or at least maybe learning a few survivalist skills just in case absolutely yes you know uh, there was a time in america not that long ago where everybody had some stockpiles of food when we were an agrarian society the average family today at minimum should have a month's worth of emergency supplies on hand that's food that's water don't never let your medication get down to only one or two pills yeah. because suppose it shuts down even for, you know, a brownout for four or five days. So we had to be better prepared. We were once upon a time. We have to revitalize that type of thinking. Yeah, that is true. Being a historian and looking in the past, not just in American history, but just history of society, of the human race, uh, really, like we've said, I mean, electricity is a relatively new thing. We used to be able to survive for a long time uh, just by societies and cultures just going up into the mountains and disappearing and just living off the land and doing their thing. Uh, if something like this, God forbid, ever happened, could we go back to doing stuff like that again? Or are we so far gone that um, a few might be able to, but pretty much now we're really dependent on this type of lifestyle. You know, according to another study, five years after a major EMP strike, which would be uh, something like North Korea delivering three warheads over the United States above, you know, in space, 80% of the grid would still be paralyzed five years later. Wow. Which I remember one person saying, well, if 90% of the population is dead, I guess it averages out. That's a hell of a rotten statistic to think about. Yeah. Is that just the United States or is that globally? Well, you know, if the United States goes down, what happens to the rest of the world if there's suddenly a vacuum? We are no longer the primary power, or at least hoping to be the primary power. Yeah. It, it would have global uh, repercussions. Uh, yeah, well, and that's maybe what they're going for. But uh, like we said before, I mean, with the government society that would create thereafter, I'm sure some of those realize that that anarchy that would be done by the mass public would give opportunity for those to rise in power and dominate and control as much as they want, which is why we're hearing of threats of an EMP coming from either Russia or China or North Korea or Iran or somebody because they see the opportunity that if the U.S. goes down, then the anarchy would open up the Pandora's box for opportunity to, take, to have a power grab worldwide. Well, remember the old saying, uh, uh, you know, Never saw a crisis that couldn't be exploited. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. Yep. Yeah, I love it. Uh, last question. We got just about 45 seconds here as we kind of wrap things up. But what, is there anything we can do to be preventative? And not just us, but essentially the government in 
trying to defend our electric grid, trying to do it in sectional grids around the country or centralizing the power? How do we prevent this just in case someone does attempt it? We're spending over a trillion dollars on green energy. For what? Windmills? Solar power? We, and we're spending almost nothing on revitalizing and building the grid up to a modern system. I guess we're going to have to see a major administrative change and then more money devoted to securing this grid for the future. we got a lot of work to do, and I don't see any uh, forethinking from our wonderful elected officials in Washington, D.C., so that's something we need to be aware of and kind of force them down that road. The book is five years after. You can find it on Amazon pre-order. It now comes out officially here in just a couple of weeks. Bill, it's so good to talk to you, my friend. I love the conversation. we got to do it again soon. Absolutely, yes, and God bless this country, because we do need God bless this country. We appreciate that very much. We'll get you back on again soon. Great conversation. Very interesting stuff. Could you survive? Could you handle it? Ponder that one as you go off into the sunset this evening. Until then, we're back at it again tomorrow. It's time for you to be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change. It's time to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.